Hello, my name is Charles Sargent, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Sins of Henry County. I am also the author of the book, Sins of Henry County, which is available on Amazon and ebook. And I'm in the process of working on an audible. But where I'd like to start today is let's go back to the morning, November the 7th, 1974. I can't get into much detail about Jeff Lee's murder that I haven't already covered. There's actually no file in the Atlanta Police Department that Jeff Lee was ever murdered as far as a case is concerned. And that's how I investigate these cases. I look at the police report and look for telltale signs lies, deception, cover-ups. There is nothing to work with on Jeff Lee's story. But Jeff Lee was the music producer of Joe South, whose biggest hit was the games people play. Jeff Lee worked for a mafia figure in Atlanta, Georgia, by the name of Mike Thevis. He was involved in drug activity, and Mike Thevis... Uh, may have had him killed by someone in his organization, and he could have used the Dixie Mafia because they were already in town. So I'm going to move on to the facts that I, I know and I can prove. On Wednesday night, November the 6th, a Dixie Mafia hit team were supposed to murder Eugene Barge. They were staying in a hotel in Atlanta. Eugene Barge lived a little bit southwest of Atlanta. And he went to work around 5.30 in the morning. So their plan was they had a, a trailer of some sorts nearby that they had occupied and were sleeping in. And we're going to get up early in the morning and execute Eugene Barge. One thing is they didn't have an alarm clock. So they overslept and the murder did not take place. They regrouped and on Thursday morning, with the aid of an alarm clock, they got up and set up a roadblock in the road where a lady was laying out in the road a truck that she was supposed to have been driving was blocking one lane and she was blocking the other, laying in the road. Eugene Barge comes along, steps out of his truck and is executed early in the morning. As the GBI and the FBI file shows, the three white men in a white van were involved in this murder. There was a lady that laid in the road involved in the murder. Her name was Kathleen Love Scully. And not mentioned anywhere in the FBI files, at least nothing that wasn't redacted. They may have covered the actual hitman, Robert William Johnson, but I didn't see his name and I didn't see an inference into any of the individuals involved in the case that were, even though the name was redacted, 
it, it, it showed any evidence that it would have been the hitman. So basically, his name didn't pop up at that time. Now, I've been told that the police department in College Park and maybe surrounding areas, officers were involved in the Dixie Mafia and the drug trafficking and so forth and so on. And they knew that the Dixie Mafia was going to take out Eugene Barge. In fact, one of the officers told me about Robert William Johnson as being the hitman. So anyway, let's go back to the police report, FBI report, GBI report, every bit of information I have. Everything that I have and everything I'm giving you is based on documentation from the FBI and GBI. And later in this uh, podcast, we'll even cover some trial testimony. Now, after the murder of Eugene Barge, the three white men in a white van left the scene. And Robert William Johnson and Kathleen Scully took off in the truck. They were not seen, and there was nothing mentioned about them. Now, I would imagine they laid low and didn't cause any trouble for the rest of the day. But the three white men in a white van got together with a constable in the area who was as crooked as a bent nail and set them up with a robbery, a break-in of a coin collector in the College Park area somewhere. And they burglarized the home. And that's what they did after murdering Eugene Barge up until the time that they needed to show up for a second murder that they needed to commit that was prearranged. So they had plenty of time. They used that time to burglarize the coin collector. Now, down in Henry County, the sheriff's department had made arrangements that they would produce two more people that needed to be murdered, but it would be after a certain time. And um, Melanie and Hartsville got out of class mid-morning before lunch and was abducted in the parking lot by a gun and a badge and her car was driven to Stockbridge to a shopping center and abandoned. It was later determined that when her father went to get her car, that someone had pulled the coil wires and it wouldn't start. And whoever did that knew that she would call Marvin King, her high school band director, teacher, and mentor to come get her. Now, Melanie Ann Hartsville had told her father two or three weeks before she was murdered, two or three weeks before she was murdered, that she had seen something that she was 
deathly afraid for her life. She had seen something she shouldn't have, and she was definitely afraid for her life. She never told her father that I know of or that anybody has confided to me that she ever really explained what she saw. She did tell her mentor, her high school teacher, Marvin King. So Marvin King knew she was in serious trouble. And during those days, Marvin King would have had a beeper and it went off. He actually left school and went to rescue Melanie Ann Hartsville. And of course, after he picked her up from the shopping center, uh, he didn't waste any time fooling with a car. He knew both their lives were in danger. They, they left the area immediately, but they never made it back across the county line from Henry back into Clayton, where they lived. They were pulled over. If you read the book, you'll, you'll find the details where witnesses saw Henry County Sheriff's Department pull both of them over. They were seen fighting a quarter of a mile from the murder scene. So it's believed that the Henry County Sheriff's Department escorted or drove Marvin's car and Melanie down Rock Quarry Road and sat around for two hours waiting for the crew to come down from Atlanta. Now, the white van was probably pulled off the paved highway and went down the dirt road. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if the white van was even in the area of the murder but Robert William Johnson's black van had been seen pulled over on the paved road. Kathleen Love was not involved in this murder. She took a bus ride back to North Carolina. The murder took place on the dirt road, uh, out of sight from the paved road. The three white men in a white van drug Melody and Marvin's body uh, into a pine thicket a hundred feet away or more, covered them up with a blanket, and they left the scene. Now, what they did after the murder is uh, best understood if you understand what they did before going to Henry County. Now, after the, the burglary, uh, and Robert William Johnson... And Kathleen Scully waited at the hotel, probably. The three guys met back up with Robert William Johnson and Kathleen Scully. They took Kathleen Scully to the trailway or the Greyhound bus station and a ticket back to South or North Carolina. And they came back and got with Robert William Johnson. And it seems to be uh, the way things played out, that they left the white van at the hotel. The three white men and Robert William Johnson, the hitman, loaded up in his black van and drove to Henry County and committed the murders. Now, Robert William Johnson was seen by a witness standing beside Rock Coy Road, smoking a cigarette with a Browning automatic shotgun in his hand. Now, I presume after that, the three white men were taken back to the hotel 
and dropped off, and Robert William Johnson made his way on up to the Carolinas and never was heard again. And I know this because at that point, the three white men discarded the bloody clothes that they were wearing when they picked up and carried Marvin King's body. They disposed those bloody clothes along with nine Taurus pistols and some other articles that are listed in the GBI report. They dumped all those items in the dumpster and those items were retrieved at the Clayton County dump. So the only way they could have dumped those bloody clothes off is if they went back to the hotel, then got in their white van and headed to Florida. Now, the three white men in a white van broke down in Florida, and a police officer stopped to assist. When he received the all-points bulletin, and of course, they were arrested. Their van was searched, and the items found in their van, and their clothing, and this, that, and the other, is recorded in the GBI report. These three guys were all given lie detector tests, I think three times, and they failed each time. The FBI said these three guys were involved in the Eugene Barge murder. And the list of items that were found in their possession include nine Taurus pistols that were found, a new Taurus pistol box with the serial number on the side of it, but the gun was never found. This is believed to be the actual pistol used to kill Eugene Barge, and that would have been in the possession of Robert William Johnson. Also in the possession of these three white guys were clothes found at the dump, along with other items that were tied to them, including blue jeans, and other items described as bloody clothes. And this was on a GBI document. So when you've got when you when you've got three suspects that were seen leaving the crime, someone called in and said they left the murder scene and they were staying in a motel and gave the room number two eighteen. All this evidence found that tied to them pretty much tells me that these guys were guilty of killing somebody. The only thing is, the bloody clothes would not have been from Eugene Barge. I discussed this with the GBI agent Cynthia Atkins, and she agreed, no, there would not have been any blood on these suspects' clothing because he was shot from a distance because the shells were found at a distance. And they didn't pick him up, they didn't move him, they didn't carry him, they didn't do anything that, to, to, to get bloody. However, they did pick up Marvin King. They drug Melanie, initially picked up Marvin King, and then eventually drug him. But if you look at the bloody spots of the crime scene, which I'll post on Facebook, Sins of Henry County, you'll see that Marvin King's blood was not smeared. He was picked up. And that's where the blood came from. The bloody clothes 
the bloodied clothes came from moving Marvin King's body. So, why in the Sam hell did District Attorney Lewis Slayton in Atlanta drop the charges, drop the murder charges on these three guys? He charged them on the burglary and let them get away with murder. And why? And I also would like to note that this happened on December the 1st, which was about a month after the murder of Melanie Ann Hartsfield and Marvin King. And Sheriff Jimmy Glass and Lead Detective Philip Howard had already sent in three shotgun shells found at the crime scene of that murder. And they said they had test fired Jerry's gun and fired three rounds through that gun for ballistics comparison. But they never did anything with those shells for a month. Biggest murder case in recent history. And they're sitting on the comparison shells. Well, on December the 2nd, I think it was, immediately after the three guys in the white van had their charges dropped for murder, Philip Howard and Jimmy Glass had the go-ahead to frame Jerry and send those shells to the GBI, and they immediately returned messages back to bring that gun to the GBI that those shells match the murder shells. And that's what sent Jerry Banks to the electric chair. Okay, now I'd like to clarify, there was two groups, two lists of items that uh, were found belonging to the three white guys. Uh, the items inside the van was basically just uh, nothing of importance. The stuff found at the Clayton County dump that's where the bloody clothes and everything came from. And that was the evidence that really tied uh, these three guys into the murder of Marvin King. Now, on another subject about the bloody clothes. When I went to see Agent Atkins, as I stated earlier, I took uh, a document from the GBI saying the clothes that were found at the dump were bloody clothes. That was a field document made out, handwritten, and signed by the authorities. I don't remember if it was APD or Atlanta Police or if it was GBI. But when I took that document to her, I had a copy on my computer but when I went to look for that document, I didn't really start looking through that paperwork because I was so disgusted. And there was an incident on my computer when my grandson went into a gaming site and picked up a virus and killed my computer, and that was my second that was my hard copy. That was my copy of that document on my computer, and I lost it. That's when I started looking through everything that she gave me, thinking that I still had my copy that I gave her, and then found out that 
she had taken that. Well, I have set my computer off to two computer shops that you normally have around town, people that work on computers uh, and do various repairs on computers. And to no avail, uh, nothing was recovered off that computer. That computer died with the virus. So I found an organization that uh, it's a forensic computer company used by law enforcement uh, officials. They're very credible and very thorough, and it may cost me in the neighborhood of $1,000. But at the present time, they're searching the hard drive of that computer for that document. And we'll see how that comes out. Appreciate you listening to my podcast. To me, it's very important. I've been away for a while because of COVID. And I I put everything aside for a while. It really, really uh, shut me down. But anyway, uh, please go to whatever facility, whatever venue, whatever uh outlet you listen to my podcast on, Spotify, whatever it is, iTunes or Apple or whatever venue you use to listen to my podcast, please leave a review, hopefully a favorable review, and uh, keep listening. And until then, uh, I am going to go into some big stuff that is probably going to get me in big hot water, but we'll see you next time. Thank you.